Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly journey into automotive geekdom. See, geekdom. Geekdom. New one this week. I'm your host, Brett Hatfield, here with our intrepid engineer and co-host, Catfish Groves. Yep. And Mr. Corey Pratt of Craving Cars on YouTube. That's me. And returning to the fold, the long-lost co-host, Mr. Vernon Estes. Oh, man, it's good Look to be at him right Brett. there. I, I didn't think you'd make it with the traffic. I honestly didn't think I was going to make it either. I thought we were going to be finishing up the uh, interview, and you might be sticking your head through the door. Yeah. Yeah, with things opening up, there's like 10 or 15 cars on the road now. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> we are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in scenic, lovely Overland Park, Kansas. Not quite so warm this week. Not so bad. Not so bad. We slept with the windows Yesterday open last really night. Nice. Oh, so was great. With the fans going, that was terrific, man. Nice, cool breeze. If you like what you're hearing, tell your friends. If there's something you want to hear, tell us. Uh, we got a new game this week, and... <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and get through the you are the news I'm just, I, I can't wait. Uh, this week we have news of a new cannonball record and an overdue record for the world's fastest woman. Spy picks are out of the new Bronco being tested, and McLaren's on rocky financial footing. Our special guests this week are the aforementioned Vernon Estes and John Craman, director of, of company relations and the lead TV commentator for Meek and Auctions on NBCSN a new game this week oh yes 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 yes. first rule of the game you can't talk about the game second rule of the game (laughs) you can only play if you are listening at home if you are at work or driving or involved in some other activity you can't play this game and that's because this is a drinking game pour yourself your favorite adult beverage every time you hear the word corvette impala porsche harley or mopar you have to take a drink. We would have included Shelby, but with Vern here on this week, yeah. everybody would have been ballistically yeah, shit hammered by the time you'd we got done with the, the show. Podcast. Oh, are you kidding? We'd be under the desk by segment two. Okay, guys, what did you do with cars this week, Vern? What'd you did? Oh, I just worked. I'm just uh, finishing up the lotting for the upcoming Meekum sale and just uh, doing that stuff. Man. Over five thousand lots. Yeah, picked up a, a Bronco from a paint shop that's been there for I don't know. Uh, last six time, or seven last months. Time I been, thought there was snow on the ground. It's been so long. I don't. I don't even want to know. Was how it long marinating in paint rather than being painted? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, well, it was just you know you take one thing apart and it just leads uh, to one more yeah. thing and then one more thing and then one more thing. And so, suddenly we're down to the tub. You know, I never <laughs> knew that. I never knew that nails could be used to put door, door hardware in. That's all I'm going to no. say. About that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's nails. down home. Yeah. They, it turns out they can. <laughs> home Depot I, and garage. I'm not sure how much I'd reveal that. At this point, you're wondering, <laughs> but can you take that door hardware apart? Yes, you sure. can. It takes seven hammer. months. 
<laughs> and scene. Uh, how about you, Mr. Catfish? Oh, uh, well, you know, uh, you and I kind of bounced back and forth on that 56 Plymouth that I found and no. was just, I'm all hot for teacher over. No. Because uh, it looks, oh, it's, no. it's everything I wanted except, no. you know, good condition. I think Brett that said no. That thing's a tetanus shot on four wheels. Slight issue. <laughs> it's a, it looks like it could probably use a good cleaning. It's, it's you know, like a seven month, you know, auto dip like I, you went through. I, I, the pound, I'm pretty sure like you could kill us. I'm pretty sure you could kill a shop back with that thing. Yeah, it's, but it's, oh, it runs. It's and pink and it has work. Craigers on it. Pink and black, thank you. You've got to add in the black in there, uh, otherwise it loses it, some pink, uh, cachet. It's yeah. pink and black, and it's got Craigers on it. It is a good way to lose some cachet. You're right about that. You're not kidding there. But, you know, it takes a brave man to wear pink and drive it. I just want to point that out right now. But it's a 56 Plymouth Belvedere, and it's got the it's an automatic, got the eight-cylinder original 277 running. They did split the exhaust which is a blessing because it has a nice little blah, 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 because he sent me like three videos. And I'm like, ah, porn. And then uh, it's got the push button. Um, push button transmission. Yes. Uh, there on the dash. And it actually, I bought a 56 Plymouth. That's the one where I whine about how bad I am at, at uh, welding. Uh, and it was the car that how bad. But the uh, the 56 Plymouth Belvedere that I had, it was original six-cylinder six flathead. That must have been a lower model Belvedere than this Belvedere, because it's got some flashy chrome on the dashboard, and uh, the seats were much more intricate than the piece of crap I bought. And I... Uh, Dude, oh. I know where AutoZone is. <laughs> it's a... Uh, yeah, I know. You know what I could do? They also sell flame stickers. The fish... <laughs> <laughs> the fake portholes for the other side. Yeah, yeah the Buick portholes, yeah. Not to digress too far, but the very first car I bought with, I owned as a kid was a 55 Plymouth. And I put a the cheapest possible, without it being you know just tar paper, uh, car seat on it that I got at Walmarts. And it was the type they had to kind of clip the backs, and it was really meant for a bench seat in a truck. That thing was made out of <laughs> thick vinyl. And... I, uh, on my first date that I ever went on in that car. Um, uh, wait, 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 wait. You're leaving out the part where you really, really no, cleaned I'm, it up. No, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> first date, right? I'm going to a dance at the high school. We used to have those, and we actually danced. We used to have those, yeah. And the, we used uh, to be able to touch one another. I know. Now they're, now they're it was weird. Uh, but, and not just elbows. But we, uh, uh, I cleaned that car stem to stern. I mean, I even cleaned the, uh, the, the engine bay. Like, she would even see that. But I went through that whole dang thing. And I, I bought this great stuff for interiors. It's called Armorall. And also, I arm I, I practically filled the cab with Armorall and then just opened the door and let it pour out. You never, ever, ever Armorall <laughs> vinyl. Just hard vinyl. Because there's, a, there's the, a reason they call it Armor Mall. The girls in this lovely dress, there are no seatbelts, and she was just ass akimbo all over that vehicle. I'm in Branson, Missouri, trying to go around corners, and I'm having to crawl because she's sliding. It's already difficult she's enough in that car. hanging up into the door. So, of course, I want to get another one and re- relive my youth. Yeah. So, there you go. Corners like a rhino in a wet yeah. clay bank. Oh, my God. It was awful. I love that car. Good Lord. Corey, can you top that? <laughs> no. Uh, however, I, uh, I did drive three and a half hours just so I can shoot some video on a 71 or 72 sorry uh dotson 510 very cool that, very that cool. had been kind of uh, it's still working on some restoration on the inside it's kind of weird you usually do the inside kind of work your way out he started from the outside and he's working his way in but he's got the scheme on it for the the bre racing team oh cool cool cool, cool. So, nice. super, who was it that awesome. we were talking about with the uh, dotsons was it last week or week before last 
Uh, we chatted with somebody that was doing a, a kind of redoing Dotsons, and I mentioned the the B two ten. Yeah, yeah, because it makes me happy. Have we already forgotten? Of course, I have. Yeah. I got the memory of a flea, dude. Come on, <laughs> they have memories. That's, that's why they don't give you more than a half hour for lunch. I'll have to retrain. You're not wrong. <laughs> but uh, I, it, I it resemble was that nice. remark. Uh, this week, I had a chance to. Uh, I found a new detailing secret for the good old Harley truck. Harley drank. Uh, wash the Corvette, <laughs> drink, wash the Impala, drink, drink. Uh, and got a guy today who, courtesy of Corey, he found this guy, uh, wants to put the Impala in a music video this weekend. What? What? Impala again, drink. Uh, <laughs> by the end of the show, I'm not as thrunk as you think I am. <laughs> so what, what kind of music? Uh, That's a good question. I think it's uh, rap or hip hop. Nice. They wanted a '60s Impala in the background. I happened to own one. Yeah, with a lot of chrome, and it's yeah. Weird. yeah. And All it's I did was uh, tag the person that I know that had the best looking Impala that I know that's in the, from the And 60s. it turns out that that guy is a huge El Camino fiend. And oh. I've been we've been talking about El Caminos for like half the afternoon while I was working on the show. Huh. Well, there so. you go. I will kid you. I thought about an El Camino uh, about four years ago. I was looking at him, and there was one four thousand dollars. Actually, it was a Ranchero, but it just looked kick ass. Come on, which yeah, one well, is it? And it's not I, a Ranchero. Come on now. And of course, it, you know, is red and white because well, Ranchero. Yeah. And um, what? I, I, well, I looked him up, and it's it was the the way their traction on ice. Which they don't have. No. And I'm like, am I going to drive this to work? No. 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 Daily driver? No. No. Smart? No. You know, Ranchero, Ranchero for when you want a Gran Torino, but you have to haul crap to the dump. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Well, we've got a lot of news to cover this week, so let's get to it. All right. In the first up, there's a guy who drove solo across America. Not a big deal, right? Mm. Uh, He did it in 25 hours and 55 minutes. That is so, great. That's that's new record. That's a new record, and he did it in a rental Mustang. That's a new record <laughs> since those a new record since, a since the yo-yos well. in yeah. April did it in what it was twenty six and change. Yeah, and remember we talked with those uh, two cool dudes about that too because they had just broken it what a, a couple two three months before. Yeah, we well Doug Tabbitt and Arnie Tillman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked to them, and that was November, and they were twenty seven thirty eight. And I think they broke Ed Bullions, and he was uh, 28 and changed. So, Jiminy. Yeah, and the guy goes and <laughs> rents this Mustang. Uh, hits he the road. in a rental. 25 hours, <laughs> 55 minutes elapsed oh, time. Average speed. Average speed, almost 108 miles an hour. I bet Hertz loves uh, him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that might be able to revive the company if they just get Mustangs. They gave him the car in bankruptcy. They're fu- they don't need it. <laughs> so you just go ahead and keep that one. You don't need to return it. Yeah, don't worry about it. We don't care anyway. That's a completely worthless <laughs> asset to us. When, so we, <laughs> when would you like it back? Uh whenever <laughs> they just never got a response now if you've been our uh, coverage yeah it was last november uh tabbit and uh arnie uh and berkeley chadwick destroyed the coast to coast at uh, from 2013 but they were in a 2015 mercedes-benz e36 amg and i remember from the conversation that thing was that slightly yeah. modified e63 and it was pumping didn't they say somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 horsepower memory yes. serves yeah it, Crazy was, it was up there with with the fuel cell and all that stuff oh yeah, yeah. So this guy, uh, 
uh, rocked and rolled it. About the only thing different, and I remember uh, reading about this on, on online, is that, oh, and by the way, you can find this article at Rodentrack.com. Rodentrack, our friends at Rodentrack. Um, he rented the GT Mustang, removed its passenger seats and other interior accessories, strapped in enough extra fuel tanks to bump the car's capacity to around 130 miles per, uh, 130 gallons. So <laughs> he strapped them in, you know? He didn't actually go through serious structural changes. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I, you know, this is one of those cautionary tales, too, from ever buying a, a former rental. Because uh, you, you get the nine ninety nine a day insurance on it, and then you treat it like a like an angry prostitute. Like a rented mule. <laughs> yeah, don't be, it's don't just, be a rented gentle. mule. Don't it's be just, gentle. She's a rental. No, it's just... <laughs> It's just actually, come on, is that all you got? Oh, airborne. Well, you got to uh, love that the guy had the sack enough to rent a car, take it home, and gut it. He says he didn't spend more than $3,000 on the entire trip. That includes the car, uh, Facebook Marketplace sourced fuel tanks, and the electronic countermeasures. So he went you know, to Facebook to get his fuel There's, tanks. Their Facebook Marketplace, yeah, yeah, it's just unbelievable. There have been more than a couple people who have asserted that when uh, Alex Roy did his run back in 2006, that he spent between 250 and 500 hundred thousand dollars yeah on his run now I, I will give it this though the research that he had to do is a little bit different than nowadays yeah true true but yeah. this guy this but yeah he did nothing no well it's even like that dink that uh just went straight across during the the heaviest part of covid oh no and, those, and this dude's those still three schmucks yeah the article talked about those guys yeah <laughs> and this guy you know sacked up uh there's two rear auxiliary auxiliary tanks that were drained by gravity into the main tank and to get fuel fuel from the third <laughs> oh tank gosh. into the main he used a little electric pump powered by the car's cigarette lighters <laughs> like, what a disaster. get our done baby <laughs> Now, friends were driving. He did at least have a little bit of help because there are so many of these things that we've we've talked to people yeah. about, and they've had uh, skyplanes and, and this and that. Skyplanes. This uh, this guy skyplanes. <laughs> um, this guy had friends driving a pickup truck with 150 gallons of gas and a bed mounted fuel tank. They met him outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, refilled the tanks, and got out of his way. Did it in under eight minutes. Man, one stop, dude. <laughs> I would I wouldn't want to be a uh, to show you that how a, much a stop can take from you. I wouldn't yeah. want to be a Gatorade bottle within arm's reach of this guy. Say, <laughs> I was going to say you know how many of those he probably filled. Uh, yeah, there's chuckers going. Damn, that's a lot of. <laughs> but anyway, so congratulations on him and uh, crazy but cool, unbelievable. I would have rented a Porsche. Uh, <laughs> I probably yes, you would have. I, I probably would have cost more than three thousand dollars. Everybody drink. Alrighty. Well, you know, speaking of what uh, what Roden Track has to say, Jesse Combs is officially the fastest woman on earth. That's overdue. You've met my wife, right? It is because that was uh, <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> I dated a girl in high school. I would argue. Hey, now, yeah, she's going to get so now, upset. Jesse Combs is officially now uh, the world's fastest woman, breaking uh, the record during her fatal attempt back in August. The Guinness Book of World Records certified that Combs reached five hundred twenty-two point seven eight three miles per hour before the crash. Do they really got to go to the thousands of a mile per hour? Uh, you know, if somebody else gets that close, I guess it matters. I guess yeah. so. Uh, according to Harney County Sheriff's Office in Oregon, the crash was most likely caused from striking an object on the desert. Uh. The car was moving faster than 500 miles an hour at the time, too quickly to recover from any collision. She, uh, she basically can, died of Can uh, you imagine? Of, of 500 blood, miles blood an hour and suddenly you got no control. Yeah. That's, uh, no, I can't imagine that, actually. I can't imagine having control at 500 miles an hour, though. You're just sort of getting hurled forward that quickly. Yeah. You know? 
That's well, a, they're like probably a prayer really, and a twitch. Yeah. It's more of a yeah. cross your toes and uh, yeah, you no, make can, it out of the other end. Now, yeah. well, can you imagine being the person that eventually breaks this record? Like you're going to kind of feel like a dick. Maybe you? well, if it's Nobody a lady, probably not. Yeah. Do you remember when? <laughs> you remember back when uh, the home run um, total was broken? Finally, Babe Ruth's yeah. home run was split, and I remember feeling kind of like, "Oh man," because that had stood for so long. However, I was like, "Oh hell yeah!" Whoever did it, good on you. Absolutely, and it just kept on going. So yeah, uh, I hope this stands for a while though. Be a nice tribute. Yeah, very, very it prob- and it probably will because it takes a lot of money to do one of these. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she did have enough celebrity that she could draw the the finances at right. least part of it. Yeah. Um, but that I think it was way overdue for her for them to give her the record. And I'm glad she finally got it, even if it was posthumous. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, she, she had joined the the North American Eagle Supersonic Speed Challenger team to attempt uh, to break the uh, female land speed record that was originally set by Kitty O'Neill, and her previous record was 512.710 miles in per a three wheeled car. Yeah, jet powered car. No. <laughs> No, is it, is it really a car though? If it's no, got it's, a jet it's a, engine, it's a dart with three wheels on it, and that's all. It oh, was. It, 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 no, it's a an Dodge actual jet. Dart? They just forgot to install the with wings. a turbine. Don't is that what you're saying? Sixty-three Dodge Dart. Did you say Mopar? Drink. Dodge, <laughs> Dodge Dart is too small for you. <laughs> everybody, everybody, tip. Yeah, but because my you have non-alcoholic stuff, it doesn't really count. You well, really killed your beer. Yeah, it's well. The gone. cool thing is, cool thing is, is the uh, that North American Eagle Supersonic Speed Challenger. Man, that's they gotta really shorten that down. I swear, has already they, basically they already made her the fastest woman on four wheels. Yeah, but now at she's three hundred ninety-eight miles fastest. per hour in, in two thousand thirteen. So Sweet. not only that, she's just the fastest woman. Period. Good, nice. Good Porsche. Uh, have you guys? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a D move. <laughs> totally, Porsche. <laughs> Look, the two, <laughs> the two schmucks who had beers have already killed them. I was waiting because I wanted to stay sober-ish. Was that Schmeagle that I just heard? I was heard? close no. enough. No. I, I do anything. There we go. I, I, don't, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> okay, you guys seen the uh, spy pics of the new Bronco? Oh, yeah. I have not. Uh, Years ago. There no well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. The actual new pics. I have not seen the new And it ones, turns no. out the new pics are pretty close to the renders we've been seeing. It looks pretty darn good. The more recent renders, though, right? Uh, muscle Cars and Trucks had spy photos that had been posted on the Bronco 6G forum of the 2021 Bronco and the smaller Bronco Sport without camouflage, and they were testing in the desert. Ooh, uh, took pictures of them, testing with a couple other SUVs, and included in that was a Chevy Colorado ZR2. Uh, the Bronco was wearing some burly frickin' tires on it. It looked good. It looked it looked beefy. Uh, it might not turn out to be so bad. Now, if they would only stuff it full of Raptor parts, that would be even better. <laughs> That's yeah. the rumor Perhaps is that they, so they think a, they want to do a Raptor version. Yeah, of it, a Bronco Raptor. That'd so be all right. We'll see. Uh, uh, it's, sign me up, baby. I, yeah. I would I mean, love how another. How could they resist? It's just would, like a cash machine yeah, for Raptor stuff. I'll buy yeah, a couple. Exactly. <laughs> I, I would love another 4 by 4 competitor out there. I really would. Oh, yeah. Like a true 4 by 4 Well, that'd be a great thing for Ford. The only competitor to the Raptor is their Bronco Raptor. That'd be great. True. And I don't know. You know, Ford originally did this with the idea of going after the Jeep Wrangler, and I don't know if that would still be a one-to-one competition or if it's just something else. That hey, Ford maybe had. it'll make Mopar do something with the Jeep yeah, drink. to make it faster. Drink. It's going to work it, that it, in everywhere you can. It, it should be independent front suspension from what I understand. So, I mean, it's going to be a bit different than the Jeep. It'll probably be better on road. 
But uh, from all the off-road options that I'm seeing and all the spy shots, it looks like it's going to be pretty darn cool. I, the, the doors are even easier to remove than the Wranglers, from what the patent drawings look like. Really? Yeah. Uh, they're, they've they're got this just, new nail system that they use? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. All the hardware on the car is attached by carpenter's nails. That's all you right. need is yes. an eagle claw hammer, and that door will come right off. <laughs> what is that? A sixteen hand drive? Yeah, yeah. baby. It's it a ten right penny out. hinge. <laughs> ten pennies a little light. I think you should step up your game. I've got the uh, I got the picture up here, and that thing is actually really cool looking. The yellow yeah, one with the little ba- black top. Yeah, it's not bad. You yeah. know, it kind of reminds me of one of those old international harvesters. Only if they were kind of sexy. Never were. Never were, never going to be. Yeah, like an international <laughs> harvester that's a good car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. A good comparison. It's like make. one if it's nothing like it. I it know, looks like it an does. international it does. harvester, say... except it doesn't look like it sucks so badly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's more proper as opposed to the sexy mark. It's an IH without the 70 pounds of rust flakes that usually yeah. come with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ain't no I in IH. Uh, McLaren is about to go broke. Oh, dude. Has anybody seen this? This McLaren is about to go bo- Wait, belly you mean up? I'm not going to get my speed I, tail? I saw it on uh, Motor Authority. <laughs> Were you going to trade it for a oh, GT500? I, ju- I sent the deposit yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to call the bank about that check you sent. <laughs> you could hold out for the Z06. That's coming next year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so what happened go. with McLaren? What it sounds like has happened is McLaren in 2017 borrowed money against uh, its factory, its buildings, and some of the classic cars they owned in order to be able to buy out a bunch of stock from a, a major stockholder, a guy named Ron Dennis. You know, and that buyout cost them $343 million. And McLaren's not a real big manufacturer. They're a little boutique company. Yeah. And now, because of the crash and slow sales and all sorts of other stuff they're really in a lot of trouble and yeah, the uh, the the whole the whole not having the 2020 F1 season isn't helping at all yeah but 343 million isn't that selling three mclarens and you're clear six Six? Six. Really? No. <laughs> oh, they've gone down. <laughs> they're, t- they're talking about selling off a stake in their Formula One team, and, s- and yeah. they s- announced in May that they were going to shed 25% of their staff, a quarter of the company. It's, Can you imagine how see, much money in cars they have, though? As far as, like, they have a cow. couple F1 LMs sitting there. I'd be calling RM Sotheby's yeah. or Christie's. Like those, are 20, those are 25 each. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, that would yeah. put a pretty substantial. Well, the the funny thing is, is out of your basically, you're basically your companies that are basically just this like supercar companies only. And that's pretty much all they do. They're some of the bigger sellers. Like they sell typically what they make without yeah. struggling. Where are these mm-hmm. other companies that make great stuff and all, all and all this and and they'll have these great cars, but then they just can't seem to unload them like McLaren does. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of really. Didn't realize how much the well, corner, how much their F one team was really hurting them without but, having run in that thing. But yeah. also think about it: other uh, other major exotic car manufacturers, say Lamborghini or Ferrari, have parent companies that are really hel- holding them up. Uh, Lamborghini is yep. owned by Volkswagen Group. Volks- yep. Volkswagen is one of the biggest uh, corporations anywhere on the planet. Uh, F- uh, Ferrari's owned by Fiat, and they're covered there. McLaren is a standalone, and. Yeah. I think it would probably behoove them to have a partner. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little surprised that it's not Mercedes. I think it should be Ford. 
<laughs> Bruce McLaren won Le Mans in 66. GT40, why not? Boy, that's got to be the most tenuous connection there's ever I'm been. Saying, I'm ever. just saying, man. Make it a Subaru because that way it will be green. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't think you can afford to put a McLaren engine in that frequently. Uh, oh, my God. A McLaren Outback. Ford yeah, Can Am cars. Ford Can Am cars were all McLaren chassis. True. See? I mean, it's See? basically a match made in heaven. Yeah, well. Uh, well, they've got hands of racing everywhere, though. If you get McLaren, if you get an okay from Bruce, I think you're on the you're doing fine. Yeah, you know what? If I can find one of their uh, just the chassis with a body on it, no interior and all that, and no engine, just a roller, mm-hmm. I'll stick me a Hemi in that. Uh, Three million dollars. Uh, where are you getting a Hemi from? <laughs> well, you know, it's going to be on fire sale. This place is going down in flames. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'll bid on that. Yeah, but where are you going to get the Hemi from? I'll find a way. From where though? I'm Trixie. He's, well, are you going to like? He's going like, like, to get you to say the word. Say the word so people can drink. Oh God, I wonder if I'll Mopar. go. Mopar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you that go. sounds right. <laughs> I was about to say junkyard. <laughs> all you, all you people at home, polish off the glass. Go get another. You're one. not going to use the LS out of the Corvette. <laughs> oh, drink okay. again. Drink again. You didn't even get that last one poured. Put the bottle up to your lips. They went and they borrowed money against their building and against their uh, classic cars from other creditors. And now they're trying to sue those creditors to get them to relinquish those things as collateral against the loans so they can go get collateral on them again from new creditors and stay afloat. And I don't see how they're going to make that work. Um, Sounds like a McPyramid. I don't know. They, yeah. they, they may mainstream their own stuff pretty well. I mean, pretty much they use the same engine on almost every one of their cars. You'd wonder yeah. how they could be hurting so much when they don't have a lot of overhead on their parts. It's not like they have each car I is all made with their own specific parts. I don't think they move enough units for economies of scale to apply here. Right. Anyway, the earlier creditors are now blocking McLaren, McLaren from using the headquarters and the classic cars to secure new loans and have instead provided an alternative proposal for financing that McLaren doesn't like a whole lot. <laughs> Uh, what? No. Originally designed by Scrooge and Marley. Yeah, well, I need money, but I don't like how you're going to give it to me. Uh, McLaren have taken the earlier creditors to court to release the creditors' hold on the headquarters and classic cars. In its lawsuit, McLaren said that it required the new funds to ensure it can continue to grow as a going concern into 2021 and that they would help to prevent a cash flow crisis and a value-destructive insolvency. Translation, they don't want to be broke. Bingo. Uh, due, nope. to the ins- due to the urgency of the potential insolvency, the parties have agreed to a proposed deal with the matter via a two- or three-day trial starting July, uh, July 2nd. How fast is that? Well, you know, July 4th, they might have their independence uh-huh. from their entire company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to look to across the pond for that. Anyway, uh, They've been kept running by additional ejections from shareholders, the biggest of which is the Bahrain government. Bahrain owns... Explain, please. The government bought a lot of the shares in McLaren and have been putting more cash into it to keep it afloat. McLaren made a plea to the British government for a loan, and the Brits said, No. No. no, I don't think so. (laughs) It's a McClexic. Yeah, the government They see one of the few remaining automotive brands in the country and it's, nah, that's all right. Yeah, well, that's that's okay. Why don't you go talk to the Jaguar Land Rover people? Oh, that's right. They're going broke, too. I used to own them, too. See? This is all coming together. And they're not British anymore. Circle of life, somebody. I can't wait to see the McLaren Shelby. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What? Yes. Hey, speaking of... Drink, yeah. Almost. Speaking 
speaking of which, uh, our special guests this week are the aforementioned and always verbal Mr. Vernon Estes and John Craman, Director of Company Relations and Lead TV Commentator for Meekum Auctions on MSNB or NBCSN. Uh, they'll be joining us here in just a moment on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, the sweetest smelling podcast on the web. We are speaking with John Craman, Director of Company Relations and Lead TV Commentator for Meekum Auctions on NBCSN, and Vernon Estes, owner of Vernon Estes Classics, about the upcoming Meekum Indianapolis auction going on July 10th through the 18th, as well as some of the other sales on the Meekum calendar. Mr. Craman is a lifelong car aficionado, muscle car expert, and the consignment director, or formerly consignment director for Meekum Auctions, and also the uh, the lead TV commentator for Meekum on NBCSN. Uh, he broadcasts over 200 hours of coverage every year, except maybe not this year, because <laughs> nothing has gone this year the way it should. Uh, Vern Estes is owner of Vernon Estes Classics, the world's lowest volume car dealership That's located right, in Oakland Park, Kansas. That's right, baby. Maybe. Yeah, do as Maybe. little work as possible. That's my mantra. There's winning on both ends of that stick. You have succeeded. Vern sells high-end collector cars with a focus on Shelby American cars produced from 1962 to 1967. He's a Concord judge for Shelby American Automobile Club and an expert in Shelby memorabilia with a staggering collection of rare pieces. I can't believe the stuff you've been putting up online lately. Gentlemen, both of you, welcome back to Driven Radio. Oh man, glad to be back, Brett. Thanks so much. Uh, it's it's been way too long, John, uh, and it's been a while since we had a good old fashioned big ass collector car sale. I didn't realize how much I missed it until I saw an auction clip on YouTube the other day, and I heard the auctioneer, and it all came rushing back. Uh, big pangs of nostalgia. Uh, are you both ready to knock off the rust and get back to selling? Oh man, you said it. Let me fill you in on sort of what's happened with Beacon. The last auction that we uh, had completed, televised auction, was Glendale, Arizona. That's a greater Phoenix area back in March. Big success. We were able to get in the world's largest collector car auction, Kissimmee, in January. Uh, world's largest vintage motorcycle auction in Las Vegas. Thank goodness. And I mentioned Glendale. But since then, um, up until this last weekend, We've had a dry spell for the obvious reasons, the COVID era. But let me bring you up to date on what's happening. We are back in business. We just uh, completed a very successful gone farm and tractor auction. Uh, five million just this last weekend. Five million dollars in sales. It's a three-day auction. Ninety-five percent sell through. They had vintage farm relics, tractors, uh, about a hundred pickup trucks as well. So that kind of helped us to sort of dip our toe in the waters and that that was in Davenport, Iowa and proud to report guys not a sales pitch not a spin it really felt like business as usual hopefully we are back in a big way before we get to all of the good stuff at the indie sale I know we're excited for everything that's going on there can you tell us a little about the Eddie Vanoy collection that's coming up uh, the sale that's coming up June 26th through the 30th yeah, this is another stepping stone towards uh, the indie auction that you mentioned. Um, this is a private collection. It's in Jefferson, North, North Carolina, and it has been described by, as by a lot of people, even outside of the Meekum 
uh, a group as the best collection of high-quality memorabilia in existence, and certainly the best collection that's ever gone on the auction block. Um, it's going to run June 26th to the 30th. That's five days, over 5,000 items. Part of that group are 82 cars or six motorcycles. Uh, there's a lot of vintage bicycles, and what's really cool about this is everything is either mint original condition or it's mint restored condition. It's an incredible collection, and uh, that's going to help us kind of take us to the next step in this COVID era to help us understand how do we conduct high-profile auctions in this environment. I'm going to stick my neck out, and I'm going to predict incredible success for the Avonoy auction uh, coming up starting uh, Friday, June 26th, and running all the way through June 30th. Can you believe one guy's collection, over 5,000 items, is going to take us five days to do it? I assume that we'll still be able to bid online for this sale. Yeah, and that's a really good point because we noticed at the Gone Farm and Tractor Auction in Davenport last weekend and at the Eddie Benoit Auction as well, an unusually high number of our absentee bidders, which would include two different categories, people that will be on the telephone and people that will be bidding by Internet. Um, we still uh, encourage uh, people to come out. We are practicing uh, wearing masks and social distancing and um, checking temperatures of everybody as they come in. People still want to come out and take a look at the products that they're bidding on, and so we are accommodating folks to be able to come in and do that. And, of course, that's going to apply as well. We're going to take what we learned at the Vinoy auction, we're going to apply that to the Indianapolis auction coming up starting July the 10th. What are some of the standout lots in the Vinoy collection? Well, there's so much cool stuff. You know, I mentioned I mentioned the um, uh, all of the, the vintage bicycles and memorabilia, but, and I said there were there were 82 cars being sold. And let me tell you some of the ones that stay out of my mind. You, you can have your choice of three, essentially zero mileage, 2018 Dodge Demons, the only year they made them, the one year only, 840 horsepower, most powerful factory production muscle car ever. Uh, there's a couple of other great Mopars. There's a couple of the wing cars, a 69 Daytona and a 70 Superbird. And then my personal favorites, two cars, count a match pair, Buick GSX. Uh, for 1970, uh, they made them in two colors. They made them in white and yellow. <laughs> no surprise. There's one of each of this auction. They're restored to a high level. Um, it, it, this is, and of course, the list goes on. There's Corvettes, there's restaurants, there's trucks, there's Broncos, there's Land Cruisers. Uh, Meekum.com, you can take a look at the inventory. If you just want to take a look around, you'll be astounded by the quality and the scope and the size of this group. Very, very impressive. All righty, now for the big enchilada. Tell us about the Mecham Indy auction. Uh, what should we watch for? And aside from the Otspot collection that we're going to talk about here in a minute, what other remarkable lots are there, and what are we going to see at Indy? Yeah, the Vern's obviously going to take us uh, inside the significance of the Otspot collection. But let me just say, let me just mention briefly where we have no less than 18 collections. They're going to be crossing the auction block at Meekum Indy in July. Now, I will say that head and shoulders, um, the Osbach collection is the main attraction. It is the it's the shining star. It's the number one collection. There's so much buzz about the quality of that group, and specifically Shelby quality, not only cars, but also the memorabilia, Rodar, as, as we call it. But we just, we just found out two days ago about the Indy auction, I keep in mind, this is the 33rd annual. It's the granddaddy of all Meekum auctions. It's not our biggest. It's our second largest uh, auction that we had annually. It started all the way back in 1988. 
But what we've learned from Frank Meacham, the consignment director, is is there will be a record number of consignments for the Indianapolis auction, which referred to as the Spring Classic. Now, that's significant, guys, because we're in an era where some people have been skeptical of what's going to happen to car shows and the electric car market, and we're seeing and we're learning that there's incredible pent-up demand. Now, on the other side, normally this auction is held in May. We pushed it back two months for a start date of July 10th, and we've also expanded the auction from five days to nine days. But the Whoa. fact that we have eclipsed, and we still have some time to go, we've still got three weeks to go, but we've still got some time to enter more consignments for this auction, tells us one thing. Pent-up demand is high. People want to get back to buying and selling and enjoying collector cars, and we're going to be there probably somewhere. We're going to have six days of television, and probably somewhere around, we don't have the hard schedule, at 40 hours of coverage at this one auction. Keep in mind, the network, they're anxious to get back to live events as well so it's kind of win-win for everybody here now so Vern, you've had a couple of extra months to prepare for this auction and i'm sure you're ready for it uh can you refresh or remember our memory about the otzbach collection uh what's selling and what makes these lots so special well i mean it's it's pretty extensive now if you're going to talk about the cars uh there's you know without a doubt the most historically significant shelby mustang uh, that has ever been produced, let alone that's in existence, in 5R002, the iconic flying Mustang. Uh, you know, there's a one of four 66 Shelby GT350 convertible. Uh, again, four cars, green, blue, yellow, and red. This is the only one of the four with its original engine. There is a 1965 GT350 that is a factory Paxton supercharged car. Um there is a 66, one of 11 factory packs and supercharged GT350. The 65 is one of two. Um, there is 67 number two, 66 number two. There is the first GT500KR ever delivered to a private owner. And then the collection is sort of rounded off in vintage Shelby's uh, with the very last serial numbered 1970 GT350 ever produced. And then when you even go beyond that, uh, there's serial number 37, the last serial number of the 2015 GT350. And, of course, when people hear 2015 GT350, of course, most people generally, their mind immediately says to them, well, they started making GT350s in 2016, which is not true. They made 137 cars in 2015. 100 of them were normal, and 37 of them were the R models with the carbon fiber wheels and a number of other enhancements. Yeah. This is number 37, the last one. And those cars, you could not even apply to own one. There was no application wow. to get a 2015 R model. It was given to you. You had to, you had to right pay collector. for it, but you were selected. So most of them were, were basically procured by Ford family members, engineers, executives. After you get through that line of people, very few cars ended up being in the hands of quote-unquote normal people, mere mortals. And this is one of the few cards. <laughs> I must have and, missed and the call. In addition to that, I never got my letter. I should have checked the mail. As I learned during the break, it should have been my email. In addition to the, show, to the Shelbys, there were a couple of non-Shelby cars that are pretty significant in this collection, too. There are. There's a couple Lamborghinis, a 400 GT that's uh, completely unrestored. Wow. Uh, and then there's also... Completely unrestored. Yeah, yeah, it's had a little bit of paint work, but it's an unrestored car, silver over over like a caramel Ooh. colored interior. It's a beautiful car, um, and then there's also a uh, a Gallardo as well. So, and then aside from that, uh, as as much interest as there is in the cars, the cars are amazing. Uh, 
the memorabilia collections on both the Shelby and the Lamborghini side are absolutely spectacular. Uh, specifically on the Shelby side, literally unmatched in the world. Whoa. Wow. Unbelievable. Very, very cool. So what have you learned in the, in the intervening two months that you didn't know about the collection going forward or what has come to light since? Well, I mean, it's just the, the amount of items that are on offer. I mean, I keep on saying that the John Ottsbach collection of Shelby memorabilia is the greatest private collection of Shelby memorabilia by quality as well as quantity, which you don't often see both of those measures. You see some collections where they might have two or three incredible items, mm-hmm. guys that like to own very few but hyper-important items, and then you see some collections where guys just want to have a lot of stuff. John's collection is not held back by either of those limitations. He has some of the highest quality things that are known to exist. There is a strong 100 to 150 lots that would serve as the centerpiece of nearly anybody else's memorabilia collection in the country. How many total pieces in the the memorabilia collection? Total lots, 3,900, roughly. (laughs) Uh, And and some of those lots lots have 5 or 10 or 20 items. So, I mean, the the estimate that we've come up with is that there's 18,000 individual pieces in the collection. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. John, uh, Meekum's biggest auction every year is the early January in Kissimmee event. Uh, now Meekum has added a second Kissimmee event slated for August 27th through the 29th. Uh, why Kissimmee in August? Well, it was a matter of finding a, a location that would be able to accommodate us in this world where not every region part of the country is open for large events. And uh, so what we did is as we've had to, as we've had to cancel or postpone, Quite a few other options. I'll just run down that real quick to see you an idea. Um, Portland in June, Denver in July have been canceled. Um, as an example, uh, Harrisburg, which was going to be in late July, has been postponed. We don't have a hard date for that yet, but we're expecting it will happen later in the year. Anyway, so we found out that we would be able to hold an auction at our familiar grounds, the Osceola Heritage Park. We're just doing a three-day auction. We're calling it the Kissimmee Summer Special going to be about a thousand cars we've got over 500 great entries so far at that auction and let me just tie in with uh burns comments in regards to significant shelby's and significant mustangs keep in mind um kissimmee 2020 that was january is where we sold the bullet mustang and that car bought um over 3.7 million dollars in fact 3.74 million dollars to be exact sort of resetting the benchmark for Mustangs at auction. Now, there's a lot of buzz out there that the flying Mustang, uh, the GT350, the Ken Miles car, that's the headliner, headliner, headliner of all the cars coming up at Meekum Indy. The question is, will it exceed that amount, and will it now become the highest-selling Mustang? And I'm curious to get all your guys taken burns as well. How do you guys think that that car fits in the hierarchy of significant Mustangs compared to the Bullet Mustang, which is now the high bar. I'm automatically going to defer to Vern on this. He is the pro. Well, I mean, everybody collects if you just want to go to the Mustang world, Mustang collectors, everybody collects Mustangs for different reasons. Some people can collect Mustangs because they're commemorative editions. Some people can collect Mustangs because of certain, uh, certain specs on the cars. If you want to take a comprehensive look 
at the history of the Mustang. When the Mustang comes out, it is a secretary's car. It is stylish, but gutless economical gutless <laughs> and uh somewhat boring in a lot of ways now it's, a, it's an iconic car but it's it's mostly most mustangs that are being sold are six cylinder automatic coupes and 170 cubic inch six cylinder automatic coupes now ford goes to carol shelby who has just finished up in 1964 in the FIA World Championship, technically finishing second to Ferrari only because Ferrari got the last race canceled of the year, but essentially just whipping ass the entire year. At every race that Shelby American showed up to, they they had their number. Carroll Shelby has delivered a performance image to Ford, and now Ford asked Carroll Shelby to deliver a performance image specifically to the Mustang, because it has to be an exciting car. It has to have a performance image, or else it goes by the wayside at some point. Well, and without... They do, they do the GT350, and without that car... Run down the list of stuff we don't have if it's not for the GT350. Everything. Mach 1s, the bullet itself does not exist. The Mustang doesn't have a performance image, so the bullet is not going to be jumping hills in the streets of San Francisco if the Mustang doesn't have a sporty, racy image. It's going to be Steve McQueen and an Aston Martin, <laughs> and, and and he's wow. going to be and he's going to be dirty now, <laughs> and, and, and he's going to be getting chased by a two seventy five GTB four cam because, by the way, the Charger probably wouldn't exist either if the Mustang wasn't such a commercial success. Almost nothing would. Yeah, I was about to shut your the, dirty mouth. The whole muscle car era might not exist if yeah. it's not for the Mustang. Right, uh, and I was about to say that too. I mean, I mean so, besides Ford itself, what else? The GT three fifty. What competitors did it create because of that? Everything. Yeah. It, it, it spawns almost everything, and so including the Camaro. When you think mm-hmm. back to what gives the Mustang a sporty image, Carroll Shelby orders three cars: two competition cars, one street car. The street car is finished first because they have to take photographs of it for all the print materials. But the first race car is five R zero zero two. It is tested extensively by Peter Brock and most notably Ken Miles at Willow Spring in Riverside. It is the car that. All other R models that exist are based on. It is the car that all street GT350s are based on. It is the first competition car. It is the competition car that made probably the biggest dent in the 1965B production season. It's the watermark. And it is the, and you know, most importantly, it is the, uh, it is the Ken Miles R model. There is no other R model All right, so as closely associated in your, with Ken Miles. In your hyper-educated estimation... Mm-hmm. What's this thing sell for? I, we're just gonna have to find out, man. I can't make oh, it. Oh, that that's easy a on cop you. out. I got no, five thousand dollars cash. No. How much money do you got? You want to pool our resources? That's what I got, Mark. Five K right now. I'll, okay, I'll throw just a, drop the hammer. Yeah. I'll throw a sixty-one Impala hot rod in, and then we can go from there. John, what do you think? Well, let me say that I had, uh, and I, I, I like to talk about predictions on these high, high-profile cars. The reality is nobody knows. There's no comparables. There wasn't with the bullet. Uh, no, there wasn't and- with the Super Snake. There was, and there's not with this car. But I had guessed. I had guessed, and went on uh, uh, television and other shows and articles on the Bullet Mustang, saying that I thought it would win between four and six million dollars. It was just a wild guess. So I mean, it came pretty close. Three point seven million and change, pretty close to that. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that this. Uh, uh, flying Mustang. I'm going to call it the most important Mustang of all time, but I don't think I'm overstating it. 
It doesn't seem that it will, car either. It yeah. will exceed what the Bullet Mustang sold. Burn, what do you Whoa. think? Nobody is denying that the Bullet Mustang might be the easiest car to understand of the two. It's a movie star, right? Yeah. But the difference between that car and this car is that this car actually made real history, real-life history. Yep. Now, the Bullet Mustang is iconic because the movie's iconic. Steve McQueen's iconic. It's, it's a great film. But... This car did not have the benefit of a movie star. Ken Miles at the time, when he races and wins in this car, is not a movie star. He would go on to be, obviously now, actually a a real movie star. But he was not not a very well-known figure at the time. I I mean, if you're going to value a car based on historic significance, historical significance, then this car would have to be more. Now, how much more? I don't know. I mean, if you guys all want to go in together, I'm, I'll chip in a bit. John, what do you think? You could sell all of our houses and all of my cars, and we still don't get a quarter of the way there. So I, I wouldn't even get a hubcap, you jerks. You get a spare tire? I get the cigarette later. Oh. All righty. Well, wrapping up, John, how many entries are, uh, are slated for Mecham Kissimmee? We're, we've got a target of 1,000. That's our target. We're over 500 so far. we still got some ways to go because it is... Uh, August 27th through the 29th. We've still got some time to get there. And there'll be plenty of great coverage also on NBCSN. So that's I, that's going to be an event to, for everybody to look forward to attending in person if you can down the Orlando area. Yeah, we know it's going to be warm, but, you know, we're not going to melt. And we're all looking <laughs> forward to it. And uh, we're also looking forward to continuing on with auctions the remainder. We've got Dallas in September. Uh, still looking strong. So plenty of plenty of opportunity for us to keep selling cars having fun putting cars on television and you know hanging out with our buddies on sites what it's all about and i will see you in indy in just a couple weeks uh, i'll be there for the magazines we've been speaking with john Craman, director of company relations and lead tv commentator for mecham auctions on nbcsn and of course our own vernon estes owner of vernon estes classics all of john's and verns and mecham's social media and website links can be found on readthedriven.com gentlemen as always thanks so much for being with us again on driven radio Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt and Catfish Groves, thanking you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Driven Radio.